Well, hello and welcome to Growing Up with Papa. My name is Jason Ashley and I'm your host and Papa to about a dozen of the best kids in the world. We'll be tackling everything from bullfrogs to nursing home residents and talking about all the stuff that we've learned along the way. So if you're all grown up, then well, you know how important it is during the quiet, alone times in your life to be to be able to be happy with who you are and have a peace with decisions that you've made. And you might know how tough it is to live with shame and scars because, well, you didn't have somebody to help point you in the right direction. Well, it takes a lot of love and some heavy-duty, hands-on commitment to help point kids in the right direction. And we hope you get on board and enjoy this wild ride we call Growing Up with Papa. Hey, so this is inserted after everything was recorded and ready to publish. I can't let this go by without sharing some reviews we got on Apple Podcast. So let's start with the first one from Sir Flint. And I think this was my my judge assistant we had at the ABQ tournament in Vicksburg, Mississippi last week. This guy was really classy from North Little Rock Church. I've always been really impressed with everybody from that church and their spirits. And he had a really cool guy on the buzzer, his son named Kaplan. He was busting that buzzer wide open, doing a good job. Five stars. This guy needs to narrate every children's book ever written. Well, thank you, sir. Hope to see you at the judges' table next month. Five stars. Great podcast. From Gabe, 98532. Now, I think Gabe, that must be Brother Gabe Baker, one of a fellow children's minister from way up north in the cold country. This is great. Really looking forward to hearing more. Love the concept of core memories. Thank you very much. To Brother Ashley, love your love you, Brother Ashley. Love the podcast and your stories. You're doing awesome. Let's get some more out from Mad Ducks Moats. Brother Maddox Moats, my man. Brother Jeremy Moats' son from up there in Magnolia, Arkansas, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Wow. Five stars. Great podcast. Good job with this podcast. Keep them coming. From Easter TX. I think that's Brother John Easter from Sealsby, Texas, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Five stars. Such a great podcast. So excited for this podcast. Can't wait for more episodes. That's from A Little Talk with Sid. Now that right there is Sister Sidney Poole Spinks from our church. She is an amazing mother to a couple of fine boys. So thank you, Sidney. Now, oh, let me tell you a little bit. I snuck a recording of Aaliyah the very night we'd done this podcast of her singing in the music room. And just to share a little bit, she don't know nothing about it until she hears this podcast. So it's a little bit of her singing and showing you just how beautiful voice she has. So Talented Aaliyah is coming up next, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to Growing Up With Papa. Today in the studio, we have... A future famous, future world renowned, amazing and 
awesomely great young lady who happens to be my granddaughter. Her name is Aaliyah Posey. And say hello, Aaliyah. Hey, y'all. Aaliyah? I mean, I am so lucky. Aaliyah lives like next door to me. And she's like grew up right here in the creek bottom where we all live on this acreage and and lots of uh, country living that we live on. And Aaliyah is already at, how old are you, Aaliyah? I'm 11. I'm going to be 12 in a, few, in a month. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's 12. Fixing to be 12 years old. So she is already an amazing pianist and singer and just musician all the way around and just very talented in every aspect. And what we're going to do here today is talk about kind of how she got there. And what she had to go through to get to where she is now. And keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, she is on her way. I'm telling you, one of these days she'll go come back to this podcast and look and say, remember when we did that podcast when I was just a little girl on a creek and living next to Papa? And now look at me. But anyway, Aaliyah, what's your earliest memories of, uh, of, of music, Aaliyah? We'd go to the nursing home, and we would sing to these little ladies or a few old men. And I was about two years old, I think. Yeah, it was like... Or three, I don't remember. Yeah, you were like really, really young. But she was always had uh, kind of a knack for the stage, a knack for uh, being in front of somebody. And, you know, at first it was her and her uh, cousin, Ashlyn, which we'll get on here later at a later podcast, and interview the future famous Ashlyn. But at first, they were kind of uh, shy of the microphone and being in front of people. But the more we let them get in front of the microphone and get in front of the people, and it may not be but a dozen people, it may be, you know, some of the people stopping by and listening, it developed uh, skills in them just by doing it over and over. So uh, at first, do you remember being scared, Leah? Um, not really. Because I was little, so yeah, she I was. Wasn't. It was way back. She was really pretty small, and uh, but it didn't take her long. She was she was in the microphone, and all the old people were just clapping for her, and just she was like the star of the show. It sparked something inside of her. She stretched herself. She really might not have wanted to get behind the microphone, but she stretched herself, and it caused her to to be greater in the end. When you hear that sound, that means we fixing to kick open the feed barrel and dig around a little bit. Because there's more in there than just horse feed. (laughs) Working in children's ministry, I've developed a concept that I call the rubber band effect. Now, we've all shot rubber bands from our hands by putting one end on your finger and grabbing the other end and pulling way back and letting it fly through there. And... You know, children will be thrust into this world. Uh, one day they're going to leave home and they're going to be on their own and they're going to make their own decisions. And it's really according to what direction we point them in as to what direction they're going to go. And that's why it's so important that we keep them pointed in the right direction. Now, that's not 100% of it, but it's a big part of it. Uh, we need a firm hand of love on their lives. And it's got to be pretty firm because the world has got a firm hand. And 
a soft hand from us is not going to be able to turn them away from this world. So we've got to be able to uh, do what we can to point them in the right direction. And love in whatever form or whatever way that you can express it and show it is the most effective and longest reaching tool that we have to point them in the right direction. Just to put them in the consistent atmosphere of the opportunity to make the right decisions. Because one day they're going to fly out of our hands and fly into this world. And if we didn't do the best we could to point them in the right direction, they could wind up in a bad situation. But it's ultimately it's up to each person, each child, each individual to make life choices on their own. But it's up to us as parents and teachers to create as many examples and opportunities to make correct decisions. Now, it's a dual effort of applying resistance and pointing in a certain direction with this rubber band effect that I call it. It takes resistance. It takes, like we talked about with Aaliyah, getting in a stretching yourself. The more you stretch yourself, the further you're going to go in that direction. Now, we don't intentionally put our children in bad situations when we're not going to neglect or hurt them, but we can be just as harmful by over-pampering or or clearing out all the resistance in their lives. We've got to allow life to present some resistance without running their assistance every time we can. We've got to create atmospheres and situations that's going to stretch them and cause them to get out of their comfort, comfort zone. Now, the Bible talks about in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church of Philippi, and he says that, uh, basically he says Jesus went through this rubber band effect, and he explains, because of the lowliness, and I'll read it right here, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. In other words, he was, he, of his own choice, he was down as low as a man could get and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, that's lower than any of us could possibly go because he was God himself. He put himself in a position to be lower than any man could ever go. But verse 9 says, Wherefore, because of that, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in earth and things in heaven and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah recorded uh, something similar that I made a connection with that you can think about this. In chapter 53, he uh, prophesies and, and sees the vision of the crucifixion of Jesus. And the whole chapter foretold the details of the awful torture that our Savior had suffered. And verse 3 holds a specific statement that has struck that revelation in me. He says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So it's apparent that the reason that the writer 
hid his face from the Savior of the universe, the bludgeoned man on the cross, was because he couldn't stand to look at him for the terrible state that he was in. The man Christ Jesus had placed himself in a place that was unbearable to look on. The creator of the universe had been brutally beaten beyond recognition, demoralized and dejected and broken and brought down to the lowest possible state of humiliation and pain. Furthermore, every vile and putrid sin of every person who had ever lived was stacked on top of him as the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, changing his glorious countenance to no form nor comeliness. There was no beauty that we should desire him. No longer was he esteemed, but despised and rejected of men. So no wonder Isaiah wrote that he couldn't bear to watch this gruesome act. We hid his, his as it was our faces from him. Jesus had willingly went to the lowest possible state that he could go, and it was impossible to look on him. But that's not the only vision that Isaiah saw. Isaiah read, uh, recorded uh, that in chapter, let's see, what was it? Uh, chapter 6, he tells of a vision that he saw the Lord again. And here's what it says about the seraphims, the angels. He said each one of them had six wings in chapter 6. With twain, he covered his face. And with twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. So here's another instance where a face is being covered. Why? Because nobody could look on the Lord because his glory was so strong. The gleaming glory of God is too much for humanity. Moses had to hide his face in the cleft of a rock because of it, and the residual effect still had to be veiled. Paul was blinded by it on the road to Damascus, and because of the lowly position that he put himself in that was unbearable to look upon. He is now exalted to the highest position and unbearable to look upon. And Philippians that I just talked about explained this. So the gruesome task that bore no glory had brought illuminating majesty. The most majestic became overwhelmingly disgraced, which brought forth unimaginable honor. Every part of Jesus' birth, life, teachings, and death screamed out, Whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. Therefore, we will hide our faces from him. So because of the stretching of Christ because of he pulled himself as low because of the lowliness of state that he was in. Therefore, he is exalted above everything. Now he taught the last is going to be first and first is going to be last and the meek's going to inherit the earth and and all those things that that applies to that situation. And there's also other examples in the Bible. Samuel was called from a lowly, lowly state. I believe God scanned the earth and he saw a low hole in the earth, a void of a mother who couldn't conceive. And he chose her to, to create a prophet that would deliver Israel. And other, other examples that you can find that God reached way down and chose somebody who was stretched way down. 
to be able to exalt them and use them. So our children are no different. Every great leader you see, everybody who has really made an impact in this life and made big waves in a positive way, have all went through hardships and all went through times that pulled them lower than normal. Don't stop the resistance in your child's life. Don't make it easy and pamper them every day. Don't give them everything that uh, that they want. But make them stretch for it because they're going to need to go far into this world. And whenever the time comes and they're released into this world, out of your hands and out of your home, that they're going to go further and reach more people you point them in the right direction and allow things, allow life to happen to some extent. And don't shelter and pamper and keep them from uh, every little thing that the world comes against them. I know that's a hard thing for moms to do and dads too. You want to take up for your children as much as possible and make it easy for them and better than you had it. I believe the Bible teaches it's going to create a weakness in your life. If you don't have hardships, if you don't have resistance, if you don't stretch yourself, if you're just a sluggard and if you're just a slackard and you're just going through life, I believe it's going to be tougher on you. So point them in the right direction and let let life happen. Uh, Leah, can you tell us? I tell you what, we got some things coming up in the future. Here we got. Let's see. This is about fixing to be February, which is tater planting season. You remember uh, digging taters every year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got that coming up, and we've we've done taters and peas and different things. What was your what's your favorite? Probably potatoes because yeah. peas take I don't know how long like hours yeah yeah we would all gather up it kind of be a family thing and uh we would planting them was a family deal we'd all we'd row it everything up and we'd cut the potato eyes out and and we'd all get together and, and plant them and one of the things that that developed in our grandchildren is learning long-term commitment because we would have to go back sometimes and and get the grass out or, or pull dirt or make sure, you know, we didn't have, we had to spray them or something like that. But and it would take several months. But in the end, we'd take the middle buster and bust them rows open and everybody just got a skirt tail full of potatoes and fill the tractor bucket. She's been doing that since she was a little bitty. Can you tell us what your favorite hobby is? To play and sing, I like to get here in the thing, and I like to play songs and put in the mic and sing with the songs that's playing. I like to do that. And I like to play, what else do I like to do? I like to go mud riding. That's fun. And go shopping, probably. Oh, yeah. So let me let me kind of build this for you. She lives next door to Papa, which is a cool thing for me. But we have a music room, and it's just so I've always kind of kept it set up where the keyboard was plugged up and ready to go. A microphone was ready. Uh, we've had electric drums in the past. They're kind of down for the count right now. But um, just everything was been available to them. And I feel like that's one of the things that helped to, to develop them in, in their abilities is they able to come in and just 
get on a keyboard and sing and play and do. And so that's like where they go. When they come in the door, they zoom right back here to the music room and, and they hitting it hard and heavy. So it's become a fun pastime for them. When they're all here, they're all on something, just beating and banging. But just having the having it there and having the opportunity for them to be here. He's Oh, and they church. They play church back here sometimes. Now, sometimes, do you ever preach, Ali, or are you just kind of a? Well, I'll like say something. I'll take up the offering or something. <laughs> She's like a worship leader, I think. Yeah, I'm the worship leader because none of them like to do that because I'm the only one who'll get up here and do it. No, uh, who's your preacher usually? Either John Gate or Isaac, probably. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's the kind of things that. That uh, that they do because that's what they've always done. So in like ten years from now, when we look back and we see this podcast, where do you see yourself in ten years from now? Um, uh, <laughs> probably married, and probably I don't know. I really don't know. Probably singing somewhere. I don't know. Yep, she's probably gonna be. We're gonna be married. She's probably going to be married. You heard it right here, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to remind her when she's 22, and all the boys is bugging her to death because she's beautiful, <laughs> but none of them's good enough for her. And her papa was like running them off with a shotgun every time they come around. Like them dogs? Oh, yeah, like the dogs. Go ahead, <laughs> get out from here. <laughs> Whoa, Boots. Oh, when you hear that sound, that means it's time for hair and a biscuit. That's right. Just a little something you wasn't expecting that we're going to pull out and check out before we go any further. Today on Hair and a Biscuit, we're not going to be talking about stretching. We're going to be talking about shrinking. Yep, that's right. So the story is, my grandpa told it, my daddy's confirmed it through the years. We've talked about it off and on. Way back in uh, probably, I'm guessing, maybe 30s or 40s, uh, my grandpa told the story of an old lady who lived in the hills, which when I say in the hills, that's in the boondocks. Out here, it's like way back in the country, away from town. It's way, anyway, if you're from around here, you know where the hills is at. So she lived in the hills, and she she lived by herself. I think somebody may have checked on her every once in a while. But anyway, come come one day, she had passed away, and somebody found out and found her. And while cleaning up the estate and checking out everything, they found that she had a, a bull. I think it was a bull or maybe a cow, but I'm pretty sure it was a bull in the smokehouse that she had kept locked up in this smokehouse in this dark, enclosed area for all of its life. She had just kept this bull in this smokehouse and just fed it a little bit or maybe even fed it good, but it was just in this dark, enclosed, small area its whole life. And 
it attracted the attention of everybody around it. Everybody talked about this bull because it wasn't like it was malnourished or skinny, but it was just disproportioned. It was it was just stunted because it wasn't able to get out and exercise and move around. Its growth was stunted, and its its limbs and its features were all disproportioned and messed up because it had been locked up in his smokehouse its whole life. And everybody would look and just wonder about this crazy-looking animal that had been locked up in a dark room its whole life and how small and weird-looking it was. It was just a freak because it wasn't where it was supposed to be. It was locked up in a smokehouse. That's the story of the old bull in the smokehouse. So... uh, Aaliyah, can you tell us a little bit about your family, like your immediate family? Well, my dad's a preacher with the Cade Posey. Evangelist Reverend Cade Posey, everybody. My mom, she's a mother to us, I guess. (laughs) My brother is a redneck boy. Redneck boy. (laughs) He'll, He'll get squirrels and put them in his pockets and... Oh, yeah. We'll interview interview John Cade here for a long. John Cade's the brother, and, and we got one coming up. It's going to be future famous, too. You have to cut that out, that putting that redneck thing. You have to cut that out. No. I think yes. John, John fits that bill perfectly. Redneck John. And then Camille is just a daredevil, and she's the most precious and cutest baby, I think. So don't get offense over that, offensive, whatever you call it. So, <laughs> Camille is two years old, just turned two, and she's like the center of attention. So that's the family. Reverend Cade Posey, Sister Paige Posey, and uh, John Cade and Aaliyah and Camille. Posey. Posey. Uh, so where's your dad preaching like right now? He's preaching in South Haven, Mississippi, kind of close to Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, yeah, up there, Brother Tim Adams. Yes, sir. Yeah. He just started revival. He just closed a big revival with uh, Brother Jeremy Moats, and he was there forever. Like we were supposed to be there two weeks, but I think we went to 16? 16 maybe? weeks? I don't remember. My goodness. It was a long time. I know that. And they had like over 30, around 30, mm-hmm. get the Holy Ghost during those 16 weeks. I think weeks. 31. Yeah, and... At a church that there was less than that at one time attended. So it was a big revival. And Brother Tim Adams, I don't know where he's going next. But uh, Brother Posey is the hot item on the shelf right now. We think he ought to be preaching peak. Probably next year. What do you think? Probably. He's preached. He preached camp, but he needs to preach peak soon, soon, soon. Mm-hmm. Peak, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it right here first. That's a vote for Reverend Cade Posey. You're fixing to be 12, which puts you into the crew. March 1st, not March 11th. March 1st. March 1st. So my, first, be- my first youth night will be the March 3rd. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, 12 and up, and it's when they come out of our Sunday school department and into our uh, teenage group, which we call the CREW, which is an acronym for CREW. You remember? Christ retards. (laughs) (laughs) CREW. 
somebody somebody got to comment in the comment below and remind <laughs> us what crew stands for. But uh, it's an awesome group, and they get together every Friday night and either just like hang out, do games, or have church, or go somewhere, do something. It's something for them to do every Friday night to keep them keep them busy. And uh, they'll be going to peak together. My first year going to peak, Aaliyah's and I'm excited. And camp, and oh yeah, senior camp. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's growing up on us, man. I wish we could have done a podcast and interviewed her back when she was in her stardom at the nursing home days. She could have really told us some stuff. And Aaliyah, tell us about your church. Well, I go. I attend Christ Temple Pentecostal Church. Do I need to say like where it is? Because I want people coming to haunt me. Oh, you say it. Tell them where we at. Okay, I go to Christ Temple Pentecostal Church in Union, Louisiana, and Pastor Zach Quill is my pastor. Sister Wells is our pastor's wife. I love both of them very much. They are awesome. We've really been seeing a lot of revival lately. Amen. Sunday school department is hot and rolling and just getting after it. And uh, one of the projects we've done here recently is uh, back during the summer, what we, we we rode around and found different places to pick up what, Aaliyah, to make jelly? Musky dimes. Musky dimes. That's kind of a family tradition around here. And uh, this year it seemed to be a great crop of musky dimes. Musky dimes. Musky dimes. Not dimes. Oh, musky dimes. Yeah. I know it sounds weird, but that's right. Night dimes, not dimes. I've said it all my life, so I'm, you may have to dimes. watch me. So we got like five, four or five gallons worth through the through the summer in uh, several different places. I helped, I helped with that. Oh, yeah. We all, that's a kind of a, all the grandkids get together and pick up musky dimes. And, uh, so I had them in the freezer, and Christmas break, we broke them out, thawed them out, and made some jelly. And Leah helped with the jelly, and she's got a jar at the house. Nobody it? else did except me. Well, John can kind of help. Yeah, he kind of helped. I think I got Ashlyn out there for a little while, maybe. When? I don't remember. I think you might have been gone. Seemed like she helped. I think she did help squeeze some out. Well, I jarred them. Yep. <laughs> When you hear that sound, that means we fixing to kick open the feed barrel and dig around a little bit. Because there's more in there than just horse feed. <laughs> so, let's talk about life lessons. Now, my my daddy and my parents and my family has kind of always used circumstances and events to teach a lesson. There's no telling how many times when I was a kid, we'd be working or whatever, and my dad would say, just stop and kind of preach a sermon out of it. So let's talk about musky dimes and making jelly out of musky dimes. The way we've done it, and I've always going to have to try to do something that's a little different and experiment and better than the typical way of doing it. Instead of just most people just boil the musky dimes down and put a little bit of water in a pot and mash them, pour the juice off, and then just discard the hulls. Well, I learned that the hulls is where all the flavor and the the color and all that is. So I ground them up with a with a meat grinder into just a 
pulse. Well, then came the process of straining it out and getting the juice out of it. And so we tried two or three different things, but uh, I figured out that you can take what you squeezed and add water to it and cook it a little more, and it gets just as dark, almost as dark, and almost as flavorful as the first time that you made it. Now, the first time you make it, I'm telling you, it's some black jelly. You can't even see through it. It's dark, dark. It's not like that old weak stuff that you buy from Smoky Mountains. It is like good, dark, black stuff. Really, really good flavor. So the first time I've done it, I run it through. So I bought some cheesecloth to get the holes and what little bit of tiny pieces of seeds and stuff because they're full of seeds, and I want to strain all that out. And uh, so I, I squeezed it all out. And so the first batch of juice I had was really dark and really strong and really rich. And I made jelly out of it. And that's the, like the very first stuff I made. Now, the next stuff I made, I added water to it and, and got the juice out. And it was still really dark. I wound up making like three and a half gallons of muscadines. But the very first stuff, and I give a, a jar to Aaliyah because she helped. It was the first fruits of it. And the Bible talks about first fruits and how that the first fruits are an offering to the Lord. And the, that's what God wants and expects is our first fruits. Now, to kind of put that in perspective of what that means and how it applies to what we do, the first fruits were referred to as, back in the Bible day, they'd done a lot like we did with muscadines. They took the grapes and the olives or whatever they was making uh, the oil from or the grapes, and they would put them in this big vat, and they would roll down, and uh, they would get in there and stomp these grapes down and get the juice out of them, and that's what they used. But the first little bit, and I've heard preachers preach this, so I didn't do the research myself. The first bit, when you poured those grapes in them, some of them were so ripe and so ready and so just full and ready to bust and ready just so just right on the verge of just busting that just the pressure of being poured into the bat of their own volition would would ooze out that juice and would seep down before anybody got on them and pushed them, and before anything got on them and pressed them, that juice would come out, and that was what they called the first fruits. And it was the sweetest and the best because you didn't take the pressure, and it didn't take somebody stomping it to get the juice out. And that's what God wants from us. He don't want praise and worship that comes from hard times and being down and hurt and, and because we we've we're downtrodden or because we're desperate and we need answers or something, then we go to God and we praise. He loves the first fruits that just comes from, no, God, I'm not suffering. No, God, I'm not desperate. I just love you, and I want to I want to praise you right now. That is first fruits, and that's what God loves, and that's the sweetest to him, and that is the best. Amen. Come on, Leah. Amen. Come on, preach somebody. So with that, I think we'll just wind this thing up. Leah, do you want to say goodbye to the folks? Yes, sir. Well, thank y'all so much for tuning in with me and Papa. And I hope you'll have a blessed day. Thank you and good. 
Bye, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it first right here from the future famous Aaliyah Posey. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Sister Aaliyah. And I think it's about time, Rubber Bandit. Let's get out of this rat hole. All right, Boots, you heard him. Come on here. Let's go. Come on, get out of here. All right, yeah. Hey, did you hear that girl sing? Yeah. My goodness. Singer North, South, East, West of Walmart. I'm telling you, that girl can sing like a mockingbird on a spring day. Man, pretty evil, I tell you, she is all kind of fine. 